Hello, good evening. I'm Karidio Gantner, President of the Melbourne Festival Board. Welcome and thank you for coming to ACCA this evening. This is, of course, the home of one of the major exhibitions in the festival's visual arts program, and you're going to learn more about that shortly. I, I gave my, uh, my sermon on this subject and suggested you all read my book on conceptual art uh, at the opening of the festival. It, it's quite thick, yes. Uh, <laughs> Um, I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm having a fantastic festival. There are so many things on. Uh, my wife thinks I'm a lunatic. Uh, she comes to every two out of three, but, but um, when I insist on going to two shows or sometimes two and a half in a day, she thinks I'm stupid. But there are so many things I want to see and that it's such a, a pleasure and an excitement to see, I don't regard it as uh, a punishment at all. Um, thank you all for your support. I think you're all here because you're patrons of the festival and uh, it's fantastic. You can see uh, what patrons hath wrought uh, when, you, when you go to, to this festival. Brett's done a fantastic job uh, putting the program together. He's even got the weather committee on side this week. Uh, and let's just hope it stays like this for next Saturday night at the Bowl because when you, when you challenge God by putting on a, a concert at the Bowl on a Saturday night uh, in October, um, he sometimes takes it personally. Um, but uh, but uh, the weatherman says it's going to be good and, and let's hope so. Uh, I'm not going to, to talk further about the art. Juliana is going to do that. I'm just here... Uh, as, as, as the person to introduce Juliana. Juliana is, of course, the artistic uh, director of ACCA, the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art. Uh, she's been here since the beginning uh, of ACCA, probably since before the beginning. Since this ACCA, I mean. That, well, I, I think of that, yes, not up in um, uh, the domain, um, the old ACCA. Juliana uh, has most recently, among her many distinctions, uh, done the visual arts program for that other little festival across the seas, the Edinburgh Festival, uh, and won awards for her work there. Uh, she has uh, been the curator of at least two major um, Patricia Piccinini uh, exhibitions at the Art Gallery of Western Australia and the Tasmanian. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, she's been, she's been uh, the curator of all sorts of things. I had it all written out here, but, but we don't worry about that. She was the curator of the visual arts program for the Melbourne Festival from 2001 to 2006. I'll give you over to her. She will introduce her colleagues uh, here, uh, and they can tell you about their lesser books on conceptual art. I'm sorry that I have to run. Uh, I have other shows to go to. I thank you all for coming again. Uh, please enjoy the night and enjoy this second week of the festival. There's wonderful things coming in. If you haven't booked for Hedda Gabler, I can tell you I've seen the video. It's sensational. Uh, don't miss it. Uh, and lots of other things too. Thank you, Julianne. Thank you very much, Carillo. We're having a fabulous festival, aren't we? Yes. Is Brett still here? No. Yeah, he's good on you, Dal. Three cheers for Brett. 
you do a wonderful, you do a wonderful job, Brett. And um, Melbourne feels all the better for it. It's great when the festival's happening and we all come together and sort of see ourselves and, you know, cross ourselves. And, and one of the great things about the festival, of course, is under you and, of course, some of your predecessors as well is the way you've welcomed visual arts into that. And we do appreciate that because it doesn't happen everywhere at all festivals around the world, but I think it's a hallmark for uh, Melbourne and I think it's been an important part of what we've been able to achieve over... Uh, many years now, but certainly you're, you're a great fan of visual arts and so all power to you. Uh, so thank you for that. Thank you all for coming. Um, I am not the curator of this event and so I'm going to ask my colleague Hannah Matthews and her guest artist um, Agatha Gothsnape to join me on the podium, girls if you will, where we ponder power to the people, contemporary conceptualism and the object art. It's quite a long title. Uh, as befits, <laughs> you know, conceptual things, you've got to have quite a long title because it sometimes drifts toward ephemerality and we'll talk about that in a tick. What I'd like to do, if you wouldn't mind, the people sitting at the back there, if you could come and sit at the front, it would be, uh, you know, less... Well, it'd be far more interesting for us to talk um, to people rather than empty chairs, if I might ask you to do that. Thank you. And while you're doing that, I'm going to pop up the top here. Thank you. Here you go. You do your job. Good. Thanks. Thank you very much. You're, you're very obliging to do that. That's nice. Hannah, congratulations. Thank you very much. On this show. Um, nudity. Who would have thunk it in um, 2011 that nudity would be such an issue? Wow! I remember 1968. I mean, I was small, I, I grant you that. But, you know, when people were talking about nudity and it was such a sort of thing and stuff like that. And isn't it funny how we've come almost back full to, circle yeah. back and just the, the slightest suggestion of a little bit of flesh consensual flesh, um, you know, kind of rattles the cage. Isn't it fascinating? We yeah. loved it. It was so good. And the people who did it were euphoric. They came out feeling just great and light and lifted and free. And that was really nice. But, you know, it was fantastic for our numbers. Super good. Um, people coming in and looking to see if they were going to find naked people and stuff like that. But it, Adults only. Uh, you know, I'm making light of it, but it's it's Kind of interesting, isn't it, that you know, we're, we're looking back now at some of those things that, let's, let's say 1968 is a kind of marker. I mean, mm -hmm. I know that's not an absolute, but 68 was a kind of time when things were loosening up, when art was you know, popping off the pedestal, was becoming non-object-based, and now we seem to be embracing this kind of idea again. Yeah. Why, why do you think that that's the case, Hannah? I mean, there are big I mean, things. What, I mean, what, why did you want to do this kind of a why show this right show? now? I suppose two reasons, which kind of perhaps address also the title to some degree. But the first is looking back at 1968, I guess as a, as a key use socially, politically, but also in parallel what's happening in the art world at the same time. And they're definitely reflected, interconnected. Um, but I, where the show kind of originally came from was really from artist practices that I was seeing now. So I think a 2007 trip overseas, you know, a lot of practice, a lot of artists were working more with performance and documentation. There was more of a modesty and economy about how they were working. Um, but in kind of uh, undertaking those languages, there was also more of an empowerment because this, the production of work and the production of thinking was kept very close to the body. You know, it wasn't kind of outsourced out to other people. Um, and when looking more at those practices and kind of the commonalities was this reference to conceptual practice. You know, many of these artists were really interested in the works that were being made, 
inside but also outside the gallery during the 60s. And that's kind of the, that's kind of the I guess, the beginning point of the research into the exhibition. Um, the potentials which, um, the potentials for art which were kind of exploded and liberated in the 60s, you know, art becoming not just an object that we encounter in a gallery, but art actually becoming something that it can exist, you know, outside, in our imaginations, in our interactions. Well, especially interactions, mm. because, you know, I suppose the other bit of the title, Power to the People, I mean, obviously the reference in a certain way to Yoko and John, who were, um, you know, wanting to empower people and give them some kind yeah. of opportunity to define their own kind of society and things like that, which is you know, pretty utopian. Um, but it is, it is the case that a lot of these artists want, desire to connect to an audience and bring them into the project, put them into costumes, That's right, you know, implicate make them, them mm. the protagonist mm. of the story, you know, if we're thinking of Dora Garcia and things of that kind. It, it's interesting, this, this idea that, you know, the artist wants the audience to complete the work in a fashion. Yeah. Because I think a lot of pe the time people, people hear the word conceptual art and they think, oh, dry, oh, that must be very dry, a bit arid, you know. But in fact, it's actually generally a pretty playful movement. You know, it's actually this interactive movement where there's an exchange and there's a dialogue between the artist and the audience, you know, and they yeah. bring an experience that, don't I, they? I think, you know, conceptual art historically is a very broad category that was, you know, kind of widely applied. And certainly there was the perhaps drier, um, kind of formal styles that we're familiar with and some which kind of appear in the exhibition through a kind of nostalgic romantic kind of view. But certainly there were other kind of streams within conceptual art of the 60s and 70s which were this way. They were much more poetic. They, you know, involved kind of walks through Amsterdam. They involved kind of blowing up a room of balloons, all these kinds of mm. things. And, um, you know, this kind of humanism, this kind of romance, this kind of poetry um, and humour, they're the kind of interesting elements that kind of percolated and I think kind of enabled it to expand so much. And that's kind of, I suppose, an influence or a sort of trajectory which is displayed in the show, hopefully, is that it kind of does start out quite formally but then really does open up. Mm. Um, and I guess the other thing, you know, with this title of the, the object in art, very much the centre of my thinking and in, in looking and researching, you know, conceptual art historically, was this sort of double or dual notion of the object, like the physical material manifestation that we encounter normally in the gallery and quite a sort of static relationship between viewer and object, but also the idea of the object as in the intent of art, because that was what was being heavily contested in the 60s, where art was, what it could be, who was defining it, you know, how we enjoyed it. And so the show really kind of tracks the influence of these two questions into contemporary practice. And in contesting the notion of the object, I think that's where the empowerment of the audience comes from. Because if it becomes, if the physical object is kind of removed or obscured, um, perhaps if it's something you can choose to actually put on and embody, the audience kind of has to step up a little bit. They become more activated, I suppose, in the role. The role is a little bit sort of more performative as well. They occupy more space in the artwork, which I guess as a curator I'm also sort of particularly interested in, is that intersection of art and artist and artwork and gallery space. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting that people will do it as well. Yeah. I mean, that they have, you know, a lack of inhibition about putting on a, a costume yeah. or, or, you know, being the protagonist or indeed bringing their little toddlers in to um, teach them to walk, a lovely project yeah. by Roman Ondak, yeah. which is, you know, so nice because it's, 
it suggests that you know you, you can learn to walk, but also it's a, a kind of metaphor, I suppose, for the idea that you can begin to learn to see and to think and to participate in a social space, which is, I think, something that you're trying to create with the yeah. show. I mean, art as a social space, art as a kind of social enterprise. Yeah. I guess I think it's interesting that we are looking at conceptual practice now in times when economics are a bit wobbly, yeah. uh, when you know there, there could be cause for a sort of depression of a sort, you know. Isn't it nice in a sort of way, I suppose, I'm suggesting that when times are a little bit tough or when we're in the kind of financial doldrums, artists will always step forward with, you know, more positive kinds of ways of thinking, yeah. maybe even using much more frugal methods to activate kinds of thoughts and processes that can involve people. I think that's, you know, one of the things that's so key in first period conceptualism and this period conceptualism. Uh, that's so nice. It's you know, I mean, in the simplest possible ways, yeah. people can become involved, and it doesn't really cost them a penny. All they have to do is participate. No, I mean, uh, definitely when when you know, politically, economically, socially, things are unstable, which uncertainly there's no doubt they are now, and in oh well, different different. <laughs> I've just been in Europe. I can yeah, tell you. Yeah, so you know, different yeah. kind of focuses in each country, of course, and Australia is incredibly lucky. But you know, in a way, it's sort of not dissimilar to the 60s, these kind of questions that are being asked yeah. of what has been the status quo for some time. And, you know, dare I quote Bob Catter, but we do yeah. feel a sort of... <laughs> you know, I mean, it's unusual that you would be able to get him into this context, <laughs> but that's conceptualism for you. There's room um, for everyone. But we, we, we are sort of seeing a paradigm shifting, aren't we? Yeah, of a sort. Oh, undoubtedly. We're feeling it in the streets even, even today, yeah. you know, the kids up there with their protest and things like that. But they... It's quite a friendly sort of protest, or at yeah. least I hope still. It's quite friendly. They're wearing funny costumes and they've got, you know, quite creative banners and things. It's, it's almost more situationist than yeah. it is or, Without or the bang. sort of soft yeah. anarchy than it is kind of like really bolshy, let's burn everything down sort of stuff. Well, yeah, we're, yeah, kind we're, of creative in a way. Well, like an when we were talking about this today, we were also, you know, so also mentioned, you know, in like the publishing industry or music industry, you know, th what has been the mainstream, again, is also becoming questioned and fractured. Yeah. And there's kind of just these little interstices, these little spaces where smaller collectives or individuals can kind of step up and actually, you know, through just kind of create things yeah. which become kind of distributable and, you know, um, purchased by other people. But it sort of just creates these kind of fractions of roots which had not been enabled or possible before when the mainstream was so kind of stable. And, um, you know, that's a very exciting thing to be a part of, of course. Yeah, I mean, I mean it can be unsettling, of course, for people well, who are not people a part of that thinking. But, you know, something creative can hum come from it. Something yeah. positive might emerge from it and a different way of thinking might actually occur to people, you know, well, they might question the paradigm. Hope, and hope, well, hopefully, I mean, this exhibition is kind of working in the, in the visual arts context primarily, but certainly coming into the exhibition and being able to kind of select an animal costume and kind of get around, <laughs> whether it's a sort of filter for the experience of the other artworks or whether it's a filter with your exchange with someone else who might be in the space. Roman Ondak, you know, young mothers coming in with their kids, it's an incredibly poetic yet empowering kind of yeah. experience. It brings, I guess it brings um, an emphasis back to how we live and what we do. Um, and where the significance of those actions are, whether they are in the art gallery or outside the art gallery. Mm. Agatha. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> were you born in 1968? Was I born in 1968? Yeah, were you here? Were I was you on, born in, in 1980. The world? I know. So, <laughs> so how interesting so, yeah. for you to actually be in a show that has come, you know, such a sort of distance if, if we think about a trajectory and... How 
is that for you? I mean, it, I'm not saying that you're with a bunch of people who are old. I mean, I'm talking about this now is a very long uh, kind of yeah, trajectory of practice in a way. And you are, I think, part of a, a generation that is really interested in this kind of yeah. interactive, you know, participatory kind of thing. Just explain a little bit about your project, which is um, Every Artist. Yeah, Every Artist Remembered is my project um, in the large gallery on the back wall. And it's a project I made three years ago now, which for me is quite a long time. <laughs> I know. Um, and it was like about me trying to actually understand uh, how, I, how I can, in a really deep way, begin to understand um, art history and history on a larger scale. Also because I was looking back on a lot of these practices from the 60s and um, trying as a contemporary artist, and especially as a contemporary Australian artist, trying to kind of um, configure how I could have a relationship with history and other artists. So um, I thought, well, the, the best way to do that is to actually talk to other artists rather than um, look at books or catalogues, although of course I do that as well, but I really wanted to circumnavigate the kind of sense of gatekeepers of history, so I wanted to find a way through to, to oral histories, so um, it's a very simple procedural work, like many conceptual works, and, and we just simply, uh, we have two hours, so there's a duration, there's a performance, I'm in the gallery, deeply present, often humiliated by my spelling mistakes. Oh, actually, somebody just mentioned that. <laughs> I'll, I won't reckon that. And, and made-up artists that I sometimes <laughs> say. Um, and we just alter, the task is to alternately remember artists' names. So, you know, I may say, you know, um, Bob Rauschenberg, and, and Juliana might say... Rubbish. No. <laughs> Most Cunningham. Most Cunningham. And I ask that we both stay in the moment together. So we're really, re we're really forced to have this relationship together, which is an intimate and quite humbling relationship. Because you're not demonstrating virtuosity or encyclopedic knowledge or anything. You're just really... Really? People don't show off? They can't. Oh, they try. I don't believe and they, they try at the start, huh? They try it at, at, the, at the beginning. Like yeah. when, you know, when I did it with particular artists in Sydney who perhaps wanted to uh, demonstrate their virtuosity. They try, but then they realise if they're actually being true to this moment, they, they can't, it's not a platform to show how smart you are or how mm. much you know. Yeah. Although when I say rubbish, I mean, you know, the assemblage. <laughs> <laughs> Just to get that. <laughs> but looking back at, you know, well, trying to not have amnesia about things, because Absolutely. I think that's very much a part of what you're doing, is to kind of um, break down that canonical structure Absolutely, that, that yeah. actually excludes a lot of people, mm -hmm. which some people might call revisionism, but, you know, um, do, do you see a good deal of hope in, in reminding people that perhaps they'd actually forgotten certain yeah, things? Yeah, I think on one level the work in moments does memorialise certain artists, and, and that's really beautiful. So some artists who I work with might make it their task to memorialise a certain artist who has been excluded from the canons of history or um, forgotten just, just by the momentum of time. But um, really the work, it, it's quite pointed because for every name that we remember, we exclude, just like history, a thousand others. And so we are, when you're thinking what name do I say and what name do I write down, and the act of writing the name is quite powerful because we all you know, just have to go to the War Memorial to realise how powerful the act of a written name is. And um, so I think that's, it, it is empowering, but it also really brings into focus kind of it's sadness about how many people are excluded from our remembering. Yeah, because, well, you know, I think often we forget that things like museums and gallery shows, especially those American kind of um, 
epoch, you know, yeah. defining or, or ism finding. Mm. Um, which we're educated through. Yeah, which we're educated through, do tend to, you know, bring, bring a sort of column down there. Yeah. And the ones that don't fit neatly into that kind of get discarded on the side. Yeah. It was interesting, I w this year I was doing a, a whole series of talks at ACCA called 100 Works That Matter and Why. Yeah. Um, and I thought it would be quite straightforward, actually. Mm. So, you know, I just sort of, I started to embark on it in, in a quite organic kind of way. I started then to, you know, build it. And, and then I realised, in fact, I was talking about a lot of stuff that had just gone off topic. Right. And, and the artists were, you know, like Ross Vostell. Who who's ever heard of him, you know? But he was That's so important lovely, in a kind, yeah. yeah. And, and so it was sort of interesting. And I, do you think when you're doing that, and you do that with an audience present mm. as well, that... that jogs people's memory and they start to actually say, oh yeah. my god, I, should, I must go back and actually start to really I hope so, yeah. investigate that artist And also, um, absolutely, and I hope also when the viewer looks at the works, if they haven't seen the, the conversation or the kind of appointment, it's not really a performance, if when the viewer sees the work and apprehends the work, they have the freedom to make all these connections that aren't based on the normal binary things we understand history with or the normal canon we understand history with. So you can see, you know, Leger next to, you know, a contemporary, um, you know, Melbourne artist, and you can think, what in what kind of world is those connections possible? Yeah. I, I love that. Well, I saw Soutin, and you it's like, really? <laughs> I mean, who would think in a contemporary art space, yeah. the, you know, the artist Soutin, who is already a kind of like, you know, Absolutely. fringe dweller of a kind of period, yeah. would Before be then. up there. And I thought, isn't that interesting? I haven't thought about him for ages, yeah. but there he is. And so immediately I started to think, yes, why would that be connecting back through that? Mm. I, I think it's a lovely project. Mm, I mean, it's a nice project in, in several ways. I mean, it's, it's nice for you because I think it actually builds a kind of community that's, mm. you know, perhaps not completely tangible, it's entered into history, but, it, but it's nice to think about that sort of thing. And then with the artists that you're working with, I think, you know, that, that builds a kind of bigger conversation, mm. probably not just between you and them, but their peers yeah. as well. And then the audience, you know, have that sort of greater kind of... Um, you know, more expansive sort of sense of where all of this flows from, and that's mm. that's kind of wonderful too. It's a great, mm. it's a great project. But as you say, so simply done. So, it's really yeah. nice and cheap, actually. I mean, you know, a bit of paper <laughs> and a texture. <laughs> we've we've, we've had to accommodate it, but you know. Um, <laughs> but you know, but it is nice to think that you can just make something out of you know, like an economy. Yeah, yeah. an economy, and, and that yet it can be historically quite big and and meaningful mm. ultimately. Do you find it nice down here in Melbourne? I think no, I, I, I should it. explain. It. <laughs> Agatha's from Sydney, and uh, you know we, we think she should live in Melbourne because Melbourne is a far, far more receiving place for um, your style of art. Which, I, when I first met you, I said you'd seem much more like a Melbourne I know, artist it's to me. Interesting. It yes. is interesting. It is isn't lovely it? being here and thinking all the time, every day, about the difference between Melbourne, Melbourne and Sydney. Yeah. Do you have different kinds of conversations? Um. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean art conversations. I mean, I know you had conversations about shoes before, but I, don't, I didn't mean, I didn't mean that. Um, yeah, the, well, I think being a Sydney artist in Melbourne is a very particular thing, and so the conversations I have about art in Melbourne are often um, driven around this particular binary again, mm. you know, and which I'm trying to escape by not talking about it, but I always talk about it. I don't know, I just keep talking about it. <laughs> That's because you're an artist. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you should talk yeah. about it. I mean, it's yeah. important. Agatha also did a great project with us earlier this year. We took um, a bunch of people to Horsham, mm. uh, uh, where we did a lot of performance work, mm -hmm. and Hannah was involved in uh, a very important way in that 
project too, where we took art to the streets. Uh, and that's another kind of form of, you know, address, isn't mm. it? It's this, like, you know, we know that you won't necessarily come to us, so we will we come, come to you. Mm. And your balloons went off, mm. you know, people carried them all around, the place and things. It was quite exciting, I it think. It was really. beautiful how Hannah managed to really ingrain yeah. that project into that yeah, I mean, we embedded ourselves mm. there for a profound amount of time yeah. and got to know the people, and I think it worked really, really mm. well. And I think, you know, the fact that you're doing several of these performances over a period of think, time yeah. through the show is another kind of embedment, yeah. you know. I mean, if you haven't participated in Agatha's project, do try and catch up with it. It's every Friday, every Friday night for, the, for the season of the exhibition. And, you know, you might be able to uh, volunteer a name of an artist or things that... You we've can't. also forgotten. <laughs> you can't. What kind of interaction is that? You can watch. You're a Dictatorial. <laughs> <laughs> so, Hannah, what, what's been the funniest thing so far, do you think? The funniest things? I mean, there is a lot of humour in the show. Yeah, there it is. It definitely has to be said. Um, the funniest thing. All right, while you're thinking about what's the That's darkest hard. thing in the show... But even the darkest thing has humour. I think perhaps Fiona McDonald's work. Mm. Fiona is a Melbourne-based artist who has a projection work in here. I mean, physically, visually, it's a very dark kind of space that you're entering into, and it's you know it runs for over two hours in total. Mm. It has 20-minute seg segments that you can engage with it in, but you know it's durational, it's heavy, it's kind of got this sort of seeming dryness that we talked about before with early conceptual art. But it kind of mimics a little bit the art world and the conversations we have in the art world about how we talk about art and how we engage with art. So there's a bit of humour there, you know, if you can kind of like sit down and engage. Um, when it a kind person of makes a work way, like huh? two hours length, mm. I mean, perhaps you or I, we might probably actually might go the whole distance with it, but, you know, do you think it's true that most people would actually sit through the whole thing? No. No, no I, don't, I don't believe so. But it, it is made in such a way that it has a number of segments. And, mm. you know, it's about two people talking about looking at an object that's not present and mm. how we kind of seek to kind of articulate or communicate what that experience is. Yeah, so you can move in and out of it. You can totally move in. I mean, then that's kind of the flow of the show. I mean, the way it's kind of uh, installed and laid out is that you kind of have one direction and then you come back out and revisit it. And certainly, you know, the Jan Manchuska work, which is the one here with the light wall, I think that work has quite a different reading when you come out the second time around because your experience of the show and the works in the exhibition, you become quite physically aware of your own presence as a body, as an object within the space. And when you come out and see this, this piece where, um, you know, the artist's body is actually kind of, you know, his consciousness and unconsciousness are being erased, you know, for us to see, that second reading kind of gives it a kind of solidity that perhaps you might have missed or you might have just kind of considered as looking like conceptual art the first time around. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, think, I mean, it's a little more glamorous, I think, than the first time around. Oh, yeah, you know, it's kind of I like... I mean, conceptual art has yeah. become well-mannered in, in, in the space in a kind of way. We yeah. sort of deal with it slightly differently to the, you know, Ronio things and the Xeroxy things and stuff. I mean, it's mm. a little bit more dressed up these days, but yeah. I think there's still a kind of rawness in it that's really quite appealing in, in a fashion. Yeah. Mm. Tell me, how, what, what's been the reaction to people realising that they are the protagonist in Dora Garcia's, you know... Um, well, Have you been the protagonist? Did you notice that you were being written about when you were in the space? Well, when you go back in, you will. In the large gallery, in Gallery 1, there's an there's a observer sitting at a desk with a laptop just writing away. And um, we've brought together a group of writers from professional writing classes, art schools, architects, all kinds. And um, this is a work by a Spanish artist, Dora Garcia, who's basically sort of set the parameters which someone must be in the space writing. 
but it's the person writing who's really observing the audience or the artworks or the empty space, things that are just kind of going on, who is kind of the author of the work. And yet, without the interaction of the audience, there is nothing for them to write about. Mm. So it's quite a slippery kind of triangle that's kind of talking about where the work is, who is making the work. Um, and I think many people come into the space and don't know that, how, that they're actually implicit in the content of what this work is, what the text that's being projected up on the wall. <laughs> um, some people find it unsettling, no doubt. I think most of those who do actually approach the observer and, and ask what the hell is going on. That's what I do. Who is that I, person? No. Is that me or is that them? <laughs> or is like, but then it also brings, again, it sort of emphasises this sort of performative side that a lot of us have. Like some people who as soon as they realise they're the one wearing tartan that that person's talking about start to perform. Yes, exactly. Start to direct where this text is going. To control the situation. Mm. Control the situation. Which of course is quite interesting. I mean, mm. I did that when I first experienced that project yeah. and I realised it was me that was being you written about. A, yeah. she, wear, she prefers dark clothing, yeah. loose. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I thought... Surely not. Yeah. So, I mean, immediately you realise that you actually become incredibly self-conscious, yeah. you know. Uh, so I think that's a, Can you explain to me the tractor thing? The plough. The plough. The yeah. plough. Um, or the quick version. I mean, this, and also Agatha's work, um, you know, also can be read in this context. You know, in research, they need to show, and you mentioned this before about these kind of major kind of narratives that conceptual art in its um, historicization is mainly North American and Western European and quite male dominated. And, um, you know, Australia has its very own history, in very interesting um, history of conceptual art from the 60s and 70s. And one strand of this is post object art, which is basically just talking about art outside the gallery, art kind of existing in many different kind of disciplines, art where kind of um, cultural kind of changes and thinking are basically occurring. And the work that we have here, which includes the plough, is actually a piece by one of the early, earliest practicing conceptual artists in Australia, Ian Millis, who, you know, I think at the tender age of 23, stopped making work because what he was making wasn't really regarded as art by the art world. But before he did that, at that very tender age, he was um, invited to have an exhibition at the Art Gallery of New South Wales and was working with two very esteemed curators, Daniel Thomas and Francis Lindsay. And he wanted to make an exhibition about this agriculturalist called P.A. Yeomans, who was a real revolutionary. He designed this thing called key line ploughing, which basically worked with the contours of the Australian landscape to kind of increase regeneration of the land and water. Things which are obviously so ongoing relevance today. Um, and this kind of fit into this post-object reading. It was about cultural change. It was about how we think and what we can do. And so this, you know, the conversation about the exhibition continued until it was put to the Board of Trustees, and you'll find the minute book in the exhibition, um, which rejected it because it looked like, I think they quote, a henty field day. It looked like an agricultural <laughs> show. It was not art. It could not be shown. I think it was like an institution. Myself, yeah. Well, you look at it now, and I mean, you look at a lot of that work from the 90s, you know, these models, and like, absolutely, it's totally fitting. Um, he was just before his time. Mm. It was just, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you stop at 23, but... So he kind of connected with um, a Sydney-based artist whose practice primarily is blogging, really, and a print workshop. And Lucas Eileen, who Ian ended up working with for the exhibition, was born the year that this exhibition was cancelled, basically. And so together, they've kind of, through blogging and through this printmaking process and archival kind of research, have gathered all this material together and realised this project, what, 35 years later? So that's a, yeah, I mean, there's a lovely link to Agatha's story, yeah. because it's this... 
you know, resurrection, I suppose, mm. of something that was sort of lost to history and, and just bring the periphery from history and bringing the periphery, like bringing the Australian experience and contributions yes. and activities and of Australian women, of Australian practitioners and female artists, bringing that kind of back into the conversation. It is a frustration, you know. I mean, it's still very hard for Australian artists to be yeah. brought into the canon. You know, mm. I mean, um, for instance, WAC, which was yeah. a, a big feminist, um, feminist exhibition mm. that. Connie Butler put together for um, America recently. You know, I mean, there was so much that she might have involved, yeah. you know, included from Australian sources, but there's a sort of absence of it. We're, we're still very much at the margins of uh, that kind of central canon, which yeah, is disappointing. It is frustrating. It is and, a little and, frustrating. And the exhibition goes some way to kind of address that because there's been lots of exhibitions that look at, you know, neo-conceptualism. Yeah. And I really wanted to sort of plant, you know, the Australian context and perspective and what is going on within that bigger conversation. And certainly a number of Agatha's works, when you look at them, I mean, you're seeing artists who are in their 20s, 30s and 40s practising, you know, in the here and now and throughout Australia you know, next to the 20th century gods. Yeah. Mm. Who, who was the most surprising name that popped up? Hmm. Um, apart from Sutena, of course. Yes. Yeah, apart from Ron Robertson's one's Ro brother. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, mm. Ron Roberts. Ro I'm actually doing... Uh, I'm doing... I'm doing Ron Robertson's <laughs> one. <laughs> I, I thought that was Natasha. <laughs> I thought she was doing... <laughs> but... Um, Ian Millis chose to write his brother's name down, not his name, just to get his goat. So when he comes <laughs> There's down, been a few provocations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very excited to do his, um, to do it with him because of his uh, very infamous sculpture here, and I'm very interested. I know we, we love that sculpture, yeah. and, and of course Natasha John's Messenger's project also features in this. is a yeah. lovely homage to it, and, and a, yeah. a, a, a project also that references Nauman and people like that too. Yeah. Very, very good. Mm. So I'm going to wind up now because I'm sure everyone's keen to get back in there and be the protagonist if they can. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I need to ask you, Hannah, what, um, which animal would you be? <laughs> That's funny what as a What are you going to say, Brett? <laughs> <laughs> I really like the penguin. Penguin! I have to say, I love the shape, I love the shape oh, of the penguin. So it bounces along. I like the penguin. <laughs> and you, Agatha? Giraffe. Uh, lion. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Naturally. Um, so on that, can you please thank Hannah and Agatha. Thanks, Juliana. And thank you so much for coming along.